Welcome to Streaming Thoughts, where we stream our thoughts on movies, TV, and all things nerdy. I am Daniel. And I am Nathan. And welcome to our podcast. So, Nathan, what is on the news docket today? As far as the current events and news are going, did you hear about the Netflix live-action Airbender series? I did not. Well, it's something that's been in development for a little while, and they were working closely with the original creators of the animated series. Mm -hmm. However, just recently, the original creators say they are stepping away from the product because they cannot work with Netflix over creative differences. Oh, no. That's not... They said that Airbender is still coming live action to Netflix, but whatever ends up on Netflix is not their vision. Well, that's not surprising, to be honest. Netflix has sort of changed a lot in the last five to six years from when Netflix originals first appeared. They were just out there. There were some really interesting, sort of bizarre shows, and it seemed like at the time, Netflix was just more looking for creative and unique ideas. Anything unique and anything original? Yeah, they were really eating that up, and then just getting anything from anybody that was cool and original and unique. And nowadays, it seems like they're just becoming more and more like network TV, you know? Yeah, and it's a little disappointing, because I like the originality of Netflix, because... A number of their shows not being holden to strict timetables, not being held to strict number of episodes per season. Mm -hmm. They've been able to focus more on telling the story they want to tell rather than trying to make a story fit a mold for marketing and release schedules. Right. And that always seemed like the strength to me for Netflix. Absolutely. It definitely is. It seems like they're kind of abandoning that model. Yeah. We need original stuff. I really don't like going back to callbacks on older stuff. Like, did you watch Saved by the Bell? Yeah, I used to. NBC Peacock. NBC is trying to get into the streaming game just like everybody else with their Peacock service. Fortunately, at the moment, it seems most of their content is currently free. Whether or not it stays free is another question for another day. But when they're trying to come up with original content, they're going back to the classics. They got Jesse and Slater to come back to reprise their roles oh for a Saved by the Bell reboot. You know, they're not adults teaching the next generation. Uh, I think it's a waste of talent and time and everything. I know that nostalgia is a very powerful thing, right? Yep. It's an incredibly powerful thing. And I know that Hollywood nowadays really wants to capitalize on that. Didn't they already try to do this by doing a reboot of Saved by the Bell with Slater? Or not not Slater, Screech. Right. They already tried to do this with the reboot, trying to have Screech as the new principal or teacher or whatever it was. I think it was a spinoff or something of Saved by the Bell. Again, I don't think that this is a good thing. To be honest, I mean, give me something new and cool and original. I don't want to see a continuation of a 90s TV series that nobody asked for this to be made. <laughs> you know, like One of the YouTube channels I kind of like relatively go back to Saved by the Bell with the series Zach Morris's Trash. And they show how many of the plots dictate and demonstrate how much Zach Morris was just a terrible person that had no interest or no empathy for anybody other than himself. Yeah. And I rewatched these and I'm like, why did I like this show? He's, he's a really bad person. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of those 90s shows were real problematic in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things that don't age well. But at the same time, I do think under certain circumstances, you can kind of recreate the feel of these older shows. Yeah. Imagine a time-traveling show where you are going through different eras... And for every episode, as you're going through an era, you rechange the style of the filming and the opening credits to match the era that your time travelers are in. That would be clever. That would be super cool. And I can think of one show that did that. Oh, what show is that, Dad? It's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the topic for today's episode. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the final mission. Yes, and the reason why we're doing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is because we feel like after seven seasons, the series is ending. We love the MCU. We like everything Marvel. We have seen every episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. since the very beginning. So we wanted to talk about, you know, the series from when it first started shortly after the events of the Avengers all the way to where it ended at and sort of see the journey of this really cool TV series. So Nathan, I know that we just watched the season finale what did you think about that last season and that finale? As we touched on with our recent episode of Archive, you go out with a bang and people will forgive any shortcomings you can't had before it. And the show, it had its up and downs. Like Absolutely. Last season, I kept wanting to get you to watch it so you could talk about it with me and you were just <laughs> like, oh wait, oh wait. And this season... You... I was not motivated to watch that season because that season was <laughs> garbage. And this season, you were all about trying to get me to watch it. So it's like, the season's had its highs, its lows. It, it wanes. Some will resonate with one person more than another. But overall, I really liked where it began. And I mostly like where it ended. But I do have a little bit of a problem with where it ended ultimately. Okay, so from my end, I really liked the first few seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. How it ended, I would say that definitely ended with a bang. I would agree with you on that. I enjoyed the hell out of this season. It is definitely one of the favorite ones. I think this is probably third in line after season two. Because for me, like the first two seasons were definitely the best seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I agree with that. Actually, the first three seasons. After that, season four, I believe that was a season with the framework and Ghost Rider. See, I like the framework. I like the Agents of Hydra they did for a short period of time. I thought that was a great and clever way of giving them a unique problem that is entirely unique to their story that doesn't have any long-lasting impact or influence on the MCU proper. Yes. Because, like I said, the first two seasons, they tie in fairly well with the MCU. Yeah. It starts off well. They have tie-ins to the Winter Soldier. It's all going pretty good. Then they depart and move a little bit further away when they have the fish oil releasing in humans all over the place, which... Honestly, kind of felt like they were trying to create the animosity and the prejudice against X-Men mm -hmm. with Inhumans. Since they didn't actually own the property to the X-Men, they were trying to use Inhumans in its place. Right. I didn't like that so much, but I was on board with it. It kind of flowed naturally from what they had coming before it. Yeah. The framework was a nice way, but ultimately, without that having any impact on the MCU and proper, I think that was like the first instance where it diverged and separated from the MCU proper. Absolutely. 
I would agree with you. And that's why the first two seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. were my favorite, because they were more closely integrated with the MCU. And as the series went on, as you pointed out, it sort of diverged away from it. The storylines remained interesting and compelling up until season four. I think the dark seasons, if we want to call it, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are seasons five and six. Absolutely. Those seasons are definitely not good ones. Five and six are the lowest on them. I mean, just the opening premise of five where they're flung into this far future lighthouse floating in space around an Earth that has been broken into tiny little bits. It was like, did they just run out of ideas and they just had no idea what to do with them and got rid of them from the world proper? And also, what was disappointing is that historically, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., up until that point, every season connected itself to an Avengers movie. Yes. With Avengers Age of Ultron, it connected to that. With season five, they tried to do it because the whole reason they were looking at powering up Daisy Johnson with the gravitonium infusion device that ultimately they put into the general, they were like, oh, this big threat is coming. Well, we made a deal with these aliens. Oh, these aliens are going to double cross us. They're not going to help you because they know they can't stop Thanos. Oh, I need to get down to Africa to help the Avengers fight Thanos. They were trying to have it somewhat tied in, but it's like they had no idea what was coming in the Infinity War or with Endgame. It just shows so much in season five and six that they wanted to tie it in, but couldn't because there was no communication between properties. Yeah, there really wasn't. I would have been okay if it didn't try to tie itself to the greater MCU in the way it did. I did not like, again, that whole there's a threat coming and all that kind of stuff. Because, again, it just felt like they were aware of something that other people weren't. Like, the, even the Avengers themselves weren't, you know? like Right. And it's like, it ties into so many times they face these world-ending crises and they never once go, hey, you know what? Let's give Iron Man a call. See if he can't help out with this problem. (laughs) Can someone call Tony Stark? See if he can't loan us a Quinjet to get out of this problem or something, anything. No, it was, they knew about a threat that was coming. If you hear rumors that a huge threat is coming that's going to destroy Earth, why isn't there someone going, all right, let's uh, call Captain America. Let's call the (laughs) Avengers base in upstate New York. Let's make sure they're aware of this. No. I mean, for crying out out loud, Ant-Man did that. Remember there is a scene when Hank was explaining Scott like this whole thing. And then Scott (laughs) is like, I think the first thing we should do is call the Avengers. Right? (laughs) Even Peter Parker was like that. It's like, what? I'm just a kid on a vacation. Call Thor. Off world. (laughs) Uh, Captain America. Retired. Captain Marvel. Don't invoke her name. (laughs) Right. (laughs) so you mean it's stuff like that that i would have preferred if it had been a completely separate thing like don't try to mix in with the avengers the way that agents of shield integrated well with age of ultron was a really cool thing to see the way that those two properties integrated with one another for those of you who don't know uh, or who haven't seen agents of shield or who don't remember the way they connected is through the helicarriers yes Nick Fury in Age of Ultron arrived to save the day with a bunch of helicarriers. And And he he, says he got it out of mothballs with the help of a friend. friend. You go back to, what was it, season two? Yeah. There's a little thing of uh, Nick Fury asking Agent Coulson, hey, 
I need your help to get this project up and running. Right. It was connected. There was a tie in there and it worked. It worked really well. Granted, I think the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. in Winter Soldier kind of caught the writers of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. off their game a little bit because... There was that little bit of a window where they were like, okay, S.H.I.E.L.D. just fell, but we want to keep our S.H.I.E.L.D. show going, so we don't entirely know how to do this. But over the end, I think they handled it fairly well. Yeah, absolutely. I think my favorite connection or integration with the MCU was absolutely the season one when they were dealing with the events of the Winter Soldier. I think that that whole story arc is my absolute favorite just because we got to see the effects of a movie in the mcu those ripples carry over to other properties and that was really cool and a good example and a good example of how i thought they seemed like they were caught off guard by this but handled it very well grant ward yeah i thought grant ward was played out as a very good very loyal agent of shield then when they realized that there was this double crossing and hydra and the fall of shield from the winter shoulder and they need to figure out a way to deal with it turning him into a sleeper hydra agent brilliant it was brilliant it made it feel like yeah this is how deep hydra was at some of their most valuable assets some of their most highly trained soldiers were hydra not shield i thought that was handled very well and i really enjoyed that part of it fun fact sort of a behind the scenes story during the writing process for that story arc the actor brett dalton who played grant ward was called away by the writers and the directors and the producers and they're like hey we need to talk to you and he was like well i guess this is it you know i'm i'm out (laughs) (laughs) that's what brett thought he thought he was gonna get fired the writers and all the people there were saying so we have something to tell you and he's like oh man here it comes they're gonna say you're fired you're Hydra. And he was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean I'm Hydra? And there's this whole story that he has and it's really cool to see. Look for it on YouTube. It's it's somewhere there. It's an amazing story. And then apparently the whole cast also, from what I saw, was very emotional about that too, about the whole fact that Grant Ward is Hydra. And they were all surprised. Like no one saw it coming, obviously, because, you know, even even the writers were like, this is kind of, a, a, I believe, a very, uh, I don't want to say like, surprise change but they tussled with that idea of where they wanted to take the character of Grant Ward and one of those ideas was what if Grant is Hydra and that was like early on in the season and again that just speaks to where the MCU was heading and how how much they were talking to each other how much Marvel Studios also kind of had a kind of they were sort of consulting so that the show could remain loyal to the greater MCU and that was such an incredible attention to detail for those early seasons that it's a stuff that I really miss in the later ones. Yeah, and especially, and this is something I know that bothered you to know, and you were always complaining about it last season. Or no, not that, not last season, season five. This was like your big complaint and why you hated it was how they completely had a different method and explanation for time travel and the rules of time travel in season five than they did in Infinity War yes, and Endgame. exactly. That to me was the breaking point of the show. After that, that is when I just completely had no motivation to keep watching the series because I just thought that the way that they handled that was just a confirmation that, yeah, these two are not talking to each other anymore like they were in the first couple of seasons. You know, these two entities have sort of really separated and now they're just doing whatever with no regard to, wait, is this actually taking place in the MCU or not? 
Now, on that, what did you think of their attempts to retcon the time travel and bring it closer in line with Endgame in, in the, the final, final season? season? See, here's the thing. I found that to be really cool and a solid attempt, but where my questions lied was, okay, we have been in an alternate timeline since when, though? <laughs> since when? Like, at what point did you leave the timeline? What time did you leave the main timeline? Right. When did they leave the main timeline? If you're talking about season five, then sure, I'll forgive everything. If we're talking about season five and six happening in an alternate timeline... Why not? <laughs> yeah, it would make sense if after season five, they're just in an alternate timeline where it didn't play out the way you see in Infinity War and Endgame. The retcon mostly worked, except they still couldn't fully match the rules of Endgame time travel because despite them using the quantum realm to rejoin the branch timelines and Fitz was the bridge between the two timelines and all of that, they still had the whole thing of we return a little bit before we left so that at the end of season six, when you see the crew show up to save Minmay and clean up the temple, that was actually us just from the future going back to our own past and changing our own future. So it's like, you're almost there. You're so close, but you still have this causality loop of time travel yep. that Endgame says is impossible. Right, exactly. Because every change you make creates a new timeline. The only way that really works is if it is a action that would be carried out by every version of yourself. So like if every version of Captain America, once he reaches the point of Endgame, goes back in time to spend his life with Peggy Carter, then yeah, maybe some version of Captain America would be old Captain America in the original timeline. Right. Maybe. But that has to be like every version of yourself. This was not a every version of ourselves would do this sort of scenario. Right. Exactly. Again, if we follow the rules of Endgame, like you were saying, comes close to the rules of time travel established in Endgame, but not close enough. Right. Where it's exactly the same. That's not how Endgame utilized time travel. Yeah. Because the moment they would travel back in time to warn themselves, for example, then they would just create a new timeline from then because they would be changing history. Yeah, and it's the same thing with every single time the Zephyr one was jumping, it should have been a new potential split in the timeline. So it's like, what is ultimately the point of the time stream and trying to manipulate and control the universe to work out the way that the Chronicons want to work out when they had the Chronicons there? Fitz and Simmons go off and live for, what was it, eight years yeah, roughly. on a distant planet. In those eight years, those Chronicons conquered Earth. They won. Congratulations. Yeah. Now going back in time again and just splitting off a new timeline where they don't win. Exactly. Because that's how time travel works, according to the rules established in Endgame. So if we're going by those rules, you can't do that. They can't go back and prevent something that won't happen in the future. As you mentioned, that already happened. You're just creating a new timeline where that didn't happen. Yeah, ultimately the way they're using the time travel is the point of why time travel movies typically fall flat for me because it's, well, no matter what we do, we can just keep time traveling to fix the problem and make it work out for us. Right. And that's what they demonstrated with this is, oh yeah, we had a problem, 
We can't find to fix it, and we fix it, and it's just on a new timeline. The other world will forget about them. Yep, exactly. So that's why I felt like this last season didn't necessarily fix anything in terms of, no, look, guys, we're still connected to the MCU. Remember (laughs) that whole thing about time travel? Yeah, we were kidding about that in season five. It just happens to be a new timeline because those exist thanks to Endgame. Thanks to Endgame. We'll just go ahead and use that. It still didn't do that for me. It still didn't make me go back and say, yes, these guys are totally still in the MCU. And everything that was at the very end with the Triskelion being rebuilt and all that stuff. I'm sure we will see that at some point in the movies. I don't think so. <laughs> there were some aspects of the time travel I did really like. It's mostly in the storytelling and the casting choices they did. Yes. I mean, this last season, though, I took it not as this is totally MDMCU. I just completely ignore that. I did not treat this show as being part of the MCU. I treat this as this is a whole different timeline, still in the MCU adjacent is basically what I consider this. And because of that, that kind of released me from being more analytical and in terms of how connected it is to the MCU. (laughs) So I enjoyed this season a hell of a lot more than any other season. This season was a lot of fun since the very first episode. And with the time travel, like Nathan Malik, I love the casting of Nathan Malik. He was a relatively unknown actor but he carried that character of not just being oh it's just yet another hydra agent no he was he had his own agenda he didn't want anything to do with hydra he didn't want anything to do with shield he was just a villain that looked at the trouble that hydra versus shield created in the world was just like no let's just get rid of all of them destroy the hierarchy and the whole world's going to be better for it Mm -hmm. and i loved his motivation i loved the acting and the portrayal that we saw in nathan malik name aside i mean granted (laughs) i I do have a certain love for the name but that has nothing to do with this I feel like the villain was more classic comic book villain. Yeah. You know, they kind of went back to the roots, like season one, you know, that kind of stuff. Season one and two had those very cool, compelling villains. And I think they went back to that. And I think that's why this worked so well. I mean, a final confrontation between Nathan Malik and Quake. It was cool. I mean, the special effects on that fight were actually pretty decent. I very much enjoyed it. Okay, let's just be honest. They saved the entire budget for special effects for, for this, this final, final season. season. They have had to. Those were on point. I was wowed. Another example of the, that I thought was a great example of them using the time travel to give good closure to their characters. Daisy being able to meet and interact with Jai Yang for one final time, but before Jai Yang went dark side after being tortured by Hydra. Yeah, that was really cool. I was really glad that the character came back. Ditchin Lachman, I think. Yes. Good casting between Ditchin and Chloe Bennett because they both have very similar angular features that you look at the two of them and you're like, yeah, this makes sense that they're mother-daughter. Yeah. I mean, age-wise, it seems a little bit off, but then again, Jai Hing was a immortal energy vampire, yeah. so... <laughs> Exactly. But it was very cool to see the character come back in a different light and seeing a different version of the character. That is probably why Daisy was more attached to this character or to this version of Jaying rather than the one that she grew up with or that she met uh, rather later in, I believe that was season three, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. The final casting choice that I really loved, young 
John Garrett. Yeah, that was really great. This actor came in and he's like, oh my god, that's like spot on John Garrett. He's got the same creepy smile. He's got the same energy and the voice is similar. Man, how did they find an actor (laughs) that was so similar to Bill Paxton? It was driving me nuts. It's like, did they use de-aging technology on Bill Paxton for this final season? It was pretty cool, right? Like, man, did they use all their budget in this? (laughs) (laughs) But nope, the truth is it was Bill Paxton's own son playing a younger version of himself, and it worked really well, in my opinion. James Paxton was the one who played John Garrett, which is just awesome. I mean, how cool is that, right? You know, the son got to play the same character as his dad, but like, you know, younger. And actually that happened in the greater MCU in Black Panther. In the beginning sequence of Black Panther, if you remember, we meet King T'Chaka as he was in his younger days. That King T'Chaka was played by the son of the actor that plays old T'Chaka. I did not know that. That's why they look so similar, right? Because I was like, wait, he looks like a younger version of that guy. That's crazy. What a good devil. (laughs) Yeah, right? And then it's like, oh, that's his son. That makes sense now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, John Garrett was an early villain of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Seeing him come back for the final season was just such a great, bring it all full circle, bring it all to closure, use of the time travel. I love oh, it. Oh, no, it was great. And, you know, I remembered something about season two, which I thought was a good callback to this season. If you recall, there was a character, that woman with the black and red hair, right? Who you were like, who is yes, that? In the bar at the very end. Yeah. That character is Victoria Hand. Victoria Hand in season two was taking Grant Ward and John Garrick to a facility or something because they were Hydra. That's right. They were taking them to the uh, deep unlisted prison where no one ever heard from you again or something like that, right? Yes, exactly. And then John Garrick shot Victoria Hand. And in season seven, who was the one that shot John Garrick in the head? <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that is one of those great callbacks that blink and you miss it because yeah that i did not pick up on that but now that you put that that is so great i love it yeah <laughs> victoria hand shot john garrick it was it was awesome and i didn't really connect it right away until after i was like wait a minute that was victoria hand oh my god john garrick totally shot victoria hand and then we get to see victoria hand shoot john garrick that's pretty cool (laughs) oh so awesome all of these callbacks to season one lola i mean that was another great callback to season one yeah that i called immediately by the way (laughs) (laughs) When we were watching the final episode together, you called Lola the moment Mac said he had a gift for Coulson. Yep. I didn't call Lola until he opened up the case and saw the keys. Yep. (laughs) Well, I figured as soon as he said, well, I'm still a mechanic at heart. I was like, oh, my God, he fixed Lola. (laughs) One thing with Lola, it was such a huge deal in the first season specifically Mm -hmm. every single time colson left the zephyr he was always leaving the zephyr with lola yeah i can't remember what happened to it it just all of a sudden i remember at some point it just wasn't in the show anymore i remember that it was damaged i just don't remember how it got damaged but i remember that there was a point where they were on a mission and it got damaged i think it was in the finale of a season two might have been or season three maybe i don't remember exactly but i do remember it just again getting damaged but yeah it just kind of wasn't there anymore yeah it wasn't and again it's just all of this kind of stuff you know just sort of dropped 
which is fine because it's, I mean, obviously the show needs to move forward in a new direction. You can't just keep you reusing the same stuff over and over. It's just one of those things. It, it all goes back to why it just really felt like the later seasons were just departing and falling flat. It was one of the things that kind of made the later seasons fall flat, is that they weren't maintaining the same level of world consistency that the MCU proper was handling. Yeah. Granted, with an ongoing episodic story... They weren't really trying to make their episodes all that episodic. I mean, it's a TV series, so they had a choice. Is it episodic where every episode stands alone? Or is it a overarching season plot that every episode feeds into the bigger plot? Yeah. Very few shows nowadays take either extreme. They usually try and fall somewhere in the middle. And this is really no different. But their inconsistency with maintaining the same level of truth of their own world for that overarching plot Mm -hmm. is what really kind of separated it from the MCU. And in my opinion, is why it started off really strong and really enjoyable as they went further along. It just kind of dipped down further and further. Always felt like there was less care for that consistency to the world at large. For what came before it. Right, exactly. And here's the thing. I feel like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. would have been a fantastic series to have been released on Disney+. Plus. Now, on that, a little bit of speculation. The way they ended the show with the one year later. Yeah. One year later, uh, Daisy Johnson is a captain of Zephyr 3 instead of Zephyr 1. And she's off somewhere in deep space. Yep. Mac McKenzie is director of a fully functional shield with his own helicarrier. Mm-hmm. May is a instructor at the Colson Academy for Shield. Right. If they bring this back in some way, try to work in to the MCU proper now that Kevin Feige is in charge of everything. both the TV shows. Everything. And he's, the in movies. everything. He's, he's, <laughs> he's in charge of everything. If they did not say, okay, you have this back and he works it out that in the five years was Natasha was ahead of the Avengers and keep the world in order after Thanos' snap. That she also worked with Mac to reestablish S.H.I.E.L.D. and have S.H.I.E.L.D. up and running again. And they bring that back to having a fully functional S.H.I.E.L.D. in the MCU proper again. This final season will be a lot better and have a lot more meaning to me. If that's how they choose to continue it and Disney Plus, you mean? Or just in in anything. If the MCU proper continues to ignore S.H.I.E.L.D. because S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't exist anymore after the fall of the Winter Soldier, then pretty much this final season of Agents Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., no matter how good I might have enjoyed this one episode, is still kind of pointless. Yeah, my thing is, it's probably going to be that. It's probably going to be that the MCU and Marvel Studios does not look at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as being part of the MCU at this point. I'm open for it, but I'm not very hopeful. I mean, right. Don't get me wrong. I would love that to be the case. I would love for the events of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to sort of have some kind of impact on the MCU as a whole. And ABC is a Disney-owned property, so they own everything to it. So there's no licensing or streaming rights that should make it difficult for them to do, other than the current license that allows Netflix to show the past seasons until that expires. Right. But we kind of had this discussion before. 
What I would like to see for a, quote, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to go forward kind of show would be every MCU proper movie, like Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, Black Widow, The Eternals, whatever movie comes out of the MCU, there's just a single, standalone Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode where the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are cleaning up the mess of the superheroes. Yeah, like season one and two. I mean, that's what season one did. I mean, season one, episode eight or seven, I believe, took place after the events of Thor The Dark World. And they were at the same place that Thor had a fight. And they were like collecting data from all of the portals that were opened in the spaceship that basically crash landed in. Yeah. That's what they were doing in season one. And that is why I liked it so much. Because this really felt like, oh man, these guys are here. These guys are in the MCU. They are interacting with the effects. I mean, that other episode of that virus that people were catching from the helmet of a Chitari or whatever they had, right? That was a great episode. I love that one. Cleaning up the mess of the Avengers. That's the kind of thing that I want to see for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They deal not with these big world-ending events. That's what the Avengers are for. Right. Show them cleaning up uh, this electrical virus from a Chitauri helmet because some firefighters decided to take one as a souvenir or whatever the case was. And that's why I think the Netflix series also worked so much better in terms of being better connected to the MCU is because none of those threats that Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Iron Fist dealt with were threats that could destroy the world, for example. Avenger-level events? Right. They were mostly about saving the city and not saving the planet. And admittedly, that's why Spider-Man Far From Home worked, is because they dealt with that question of, are the Avengers going to show up to deal with this? So they were testing the waters and be like, okay, the Avengers are definitely not coming, so we are clear to proceed with this plot. Right. Exactly. And that's why that worked, is because... That eliminates the question of why aren't the Avengers showing up? Right. And that's why Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the earlier seasons, were so much better. Because they weren't about that. They weren't about trying to save the world. They were about S.H.I.E.L.D., what S.H.I.E.L.D. was up to. The purpose of S.H.I.E.L.D. The purpose of S.H.I.E.L.D., exactly. And that was really great. After the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, what I liked is that Fury had his own plans to rebuild S.H.I.E.L.D. And that's what I thought was going to happen in the later seasons. It's this secret S.H.I.E.L.D., right? That they were just doing the same thing that they were doing in seasons one and two. But this time they were trying to be secretive and they were trying to help people, but more in a covert way. And I thought that was going to be the direction that they were going to take. And I guess that's why I would actually like to see them use this as saying, hey, S.H.I.E.L.D. was rebuilt in the five years between Infinity War and Endgame. Natasha had a hand in it. Nick Fury had a hand in it or whatever. Well, Nick Fury couldn't have a hand in it. He was dusted. Well, nope. maybe dusted. He has been in space. Yeah, but it was he dusted in space or was he survived oh, in that's space true. was he dusted who knows? <laughs> that's true. That's another who knows was he the one that dusted and the scroll did it we, we don't know yet so i would like to see because when nick fury shot up it's like i want you to rebuild shield i kept expecting them to rebuild shield and bring shield back to the mcu proper because Right. Throughout the comics, S.H.I.E.L.D. always has a big role to play. Absolutely. I didn't think that it was going to be easy. I thought that the whole 
point of season three was not going to be about the Inhumans. I thought it was going to be about spending the first half or, or most of the season basically them trying to do whatever they can to help, but then eliminating all these other threats while the threats were going after them and the government was going yeah. after them because they were trying to remain as secretive as they could. And then the more good that they were doing to prevent all of these threats that were popping up here and there that would eventually overarc with a greater threat, then at the end, the governments of the world would be like... We need S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, we need you. And that would then jump into season four and then continuing that whole just dealing with maybe slightly bigger threats and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, you can do bigger threats, just not Avenger-level events. The world needed S.H.I.E.L.D. They had gone that route in the whole arc of Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury showed up, gives them the toolbox, says, I want you to be director, I want you to rebuild S.H.I.E.L.D. That would have been fantastic to me would have been a great story arc and i think that that was missed i think the direction that they went with the show ultimately was their downfall deviating more the threats getting bigger and bigger and everything just kept expanding until they literally had to blow up the earth right i mean look at that that was just not what i wanted it to be and and again also why this netflix series were successful because in my mind even though they were all canceled they were still successful in that they never expanded or got bigger than they could or they needed to be daredevil always stayed within hell's kitchen you never went out of it right so you never have the situation of oh why isn't iron man dealing with this i mean exactly because the threats never got bigger than he could handle yeah daredevil continued the biggest question would be how come spider-man never swings in to help him out (laughs) that would be the only question right well really for any of them luke cage jessica jones if they had continued those right it just would have been like wait why doesn't spider-man help them out man come on yeah (laughs) spider-man always says everyone gets one (laughs) right (laughs) exactly but again, I think that that was the ultimately why I think that the later seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. weren't that great and why the first few seasons were the best. Still, I think season seven is absolutely worth watching. And I would even say if you've seen like season four and then you haven't seen after that, you know what? Just do a quick recap of what happened and just jump into season seven. That's what I would recommend. You might need to see the season finale of season six to really appreciate season seven but other than that the rest of it you can just look it up on wikipedia and read the spoiler review of it if you fell out of agents of shield and are wondering you know should you get back into it to finish now that it is done and we'll probably have the full seven seasons on netflix in a couple months yeah less than that i'm sure i don't know what the release schedule is for it i haven't looked that up but you can watch five and six but they're not all that great they're the jump the shark seasons of agents of shield yeah honestly i mean you can watch them or you can skip them or do a a quick recap on them and i guess uh speaking of quick recaps should we jump into our tldl too long didn't listen yeah and this is a section where we give you our final thoughts on the tv series or movie that we're discussing in our episode so nathan agents of shield TLDL. Just to recap what we were saying, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. starts off strong in Season 1. It holds my intention through Season 2. Season 3, it starts sliding. 5 and 6, love it or skip it. It really lost me. Season 7, it started off a little weak for me because I'm like, I thought it was still more of the grand over the top, none of this really matters kind of stuff. 
But the final few episodes really drew me back in and ended with a bang. And I'm like, wow, that was a great ending. I really hope this is not the end of these characters. I hope this has some finality, some final impact in the MCU greater to really pay off. Absolutely. And for me... I tend to echo a lot of your thoughts, honestly, because when it comes to Marvel properties, we kind of tend to agree a lot on that. And same, I mean, season one and two, amazing. The Inhumans brought into season three were, you know, that storyline was a little shaky. Ghost Rider in season four was a great treat. Yeah, bring him back for the actual Ghost Rider. Come on. Right, yeah. The actor that played it did a phenomenal job, and I really hope that this Robbie Reyes version of Ghost Rider doesn't end here. And seasons five and six, not great. Season seven, I had fun the whole time. And I definitely recommend season seven for people who were really enthusiastic about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the beginning. I recommend it. I recommend finishing this series. If you can't watch all of them, watch all of them. But if you don't, season seven is really the one you want to watch. It's only 13 episodes, by the way. So you're not watching like 22 episodes or anything like that. So you should be able to get through it. Overall, I enjoy Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, Dan, final question for you. You mentioned Robbie Reyes, Ghost Rider. There was another Ghost Rider before that, Nick Cage. Yes. Who always wanted another spout at superhero movies. He always wanted to be Superman. Yeah. If you could replace any actor in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with Nick Cage, who would it be and why would it be better? Oh, man. (laughs) That is an excellent question. I almost want to say Coulson. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think Nick Cage would have played an excellent Coulson. (laughs) But we definitely want to hear what you think about that. And you can definitely tell us on Facebook at Streaming Thoughts and on Twitter at Streaming Geek. This has been Nathan. And this has been Daniel. Thank Thank you you for for listening. listening.